Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about Mayor of Easttown, the seven-episode miniseries that recently aired on HBO Max. Kate Winslet plays the titular Mayor Sheehan, a detective sergeant investigating both the murder of a young girl and the disappearance of another. At Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter score is 94%, and the critics' consensus reads, Grounded by a career-best Kate Winslet, Mayor of Easttown's ambitions at times exceeds its reach, but its central mystery is supported by such strong sense of place and character, it hardly matters. My guest today is the series editor, Amy Duddleston. Amy, welcome to Below the Line. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, Amy, I have to say I've been looking forward to this. Uh, quick note for listeners first, though, it's very likely, given that this is a murder mystery show, that we're going to spoil it. So if you haven't seen it, now would be a good time to pause and go watch the show. It's great. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. We'll be here when you get back. Seven hours of your life you won't regret. <laughs> Before we get into spoiler territory, however, Amy, let's talk about your early career. I didn't see a lot of really introductory credits listed for you on IMDb. I'm curious how things grew for you. Well, I was just a college kid uh, researching a paper when I read an article about Dee Allen um, in the New York Times. And I just thought that was like the most fascinating sounding job that ever existed. And uh, I was like, wow, could I major in film? Could I like change my trajectory from, you know, journalism to filmmaking? And, um, and I just, I did it. I was like, this is, I, I don't know, something just kind of got to me. I was always a film buff. And so becoming a, you know, film major was always in the back of my mind, but I just didn't think it was like really something you did. <laughs> <And> <laughs> You know, I have the parents who are like, how are you going to get a job doing that? So, you know, I did. I changed my major. I started studying filmmaking. I mean, it was mostly an art major with like film classes in it. And as they would like to say, the circus came to town. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds was filmed on my college campus. Oh, and okay. I was like this 18 year old kid. And I got a job in the editing room because they were kind of like handing out little jobs to all the film students you know, I think I actually wrote an essay to like get the, one, this job, like my foot in the door by Amy Johnson, <laughs> like, like literally, like it was something like that. And I got the job and I helped out the assistant editor and I watched the editor work all day. And I got to take, you know, I learned how to do dailies and make trim boxes that, you know, if anybody out there knows about trim boxes, <laughs> um, <laughs> back when we worked on film and, uh-huh. uh, so that was my start. And I, I was hooked. Like, like the D.D. Allen article, that was like one thing, but the actual working in a Hollywood editing room, albeit in a hotel in Tucson, Arizona. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. That was all it took. And that is your first credit, The Revenge yeah. of the Nerds from 1984, Production Assistant. Your editorial credits don't seem to kick in fully for another yeah. decade or so. And so what's sort of going on for you in developing your career during this time? Well, I mean, I have a lot of um, assistant editor credits. Like like that was, that was kind of the start. I moved to New York and I worked for a documentary filmmaker for a little bit. I actually worked in an office. Um, I worked at Miramax uh, for a little bit in the office there, uh, just kind of all around New York. And I went to visit a friend in Los Angeles during like a vacation and they were like, you should just come out to LA. You will find, you know, cause I was kind of lamenting that I was getting away from what I really wanted to be doing. They're like, you should just move to LA. There's going to be jobs. 
for you, you're going to find work. And so I just said, okay, I'll do it. And so I did. And um, I worked as an apprentice. I got an apprentice. I got a bunch of apprentice gigs. Um, I worked on Stepfather Part 2, Prancer. That was another. And then that led to assistant editing jobs. And then finally, um, in like 1990, I met Curtis Clayton, who was Gus Van Sant's editor on Drugstore Cowboy. And he was about to do Gus Van Sant's next movie. And I was helping Curtis out in his editing room on this on a film called uh, A Rage in Harlem. And he asked me to come to Portland to work on my own private Idaho. And so that was kind of really the start of my assistant editing trajectory for a while working with Curtis and uh, Gus Van Sant. And that was the early 90s. And, um, and I worked with Curtis till about 1995. That was, you know, I learned, he's my mentor. I learned so much from him and Gus and just like working on those films, like My Own Private Idaho and even Cowgirls Get the Blues and To Die For, they were all great. And then later, just throughout your, your experiences as an assistant, you know, you're working across the hall from people and you just make friends. And uh, there was this assistant editor on this one film Curtis and I were working on across the hall and we became friends and that was Lisa Chilodenko. And she, you know, was going to go back to school. And I was like, well, if you ever make a movie, you know, call me up. And we became really good friends. And so I helped cut her shorts, a souvenir, and dinner party. And then eventually I cut high art. And that was really kind of the start of my editing career. (laughs) That's fascinating because you guys have met as that assistant editor, everybody working sort of environment. When she turned her attention to full-time filmmaking yeah. and uh, you went along with her for the ride and just yep. high art. As soon as I saw it, I haven't thought about it in years, but that was an amazing film. And just, uh, and that's sort of, and so for you, then that's when you start doing movies as the editor. Yeah. I mean, and then I, you know, it was like, I had to go back actually to being an assistant with Curtis cause I was so poor after high art, but <laughs> um, <laughs> we took a job on that show. Um, Broke down palace, that film broke down palace with, uh, Claire Danes and Kate Beckinsale. And when I was working on that, you know, high art was at Sundance finally and and was starting to get some traction. And I gave dub of it to Gus to watch, you know, a tape of it. And he was like, wow, that was really great. And then he asked me to do Psycho, you know, the, his remake of Psycho. That really is what kind of, you know, I got an agent after that and I got I mean, not tons of offers, but it was <laughs> it was such a weird movie. What did you do? Like, you know, like I got a lot of interviews where people just wanted to know, like, what was that? Um, <laughs> I was like, do you want to hire me or do you just want to talk about Psycho? Um, <laughs> well, people did hire you, Amy, and you were doing. Yeah, films, they did. You I know, say pretty much films exclusively for most of the next decade, but then. I noticed some TV credits start to show up mm-hmm. in like uh, 2006, there's Big Love and you weren't really doing TV in the middle or so how did that kind of- I, You know, you? Big Love came to me, I'm not even sure, like maybe my agent pitched me on it, but I had always wanted to like work on an HBO show because I always just thought they were like the best. It's like they're edited like films, just the way the story flows out, it, it, they're just very different than like episodic television. And I met on Big Love and I was, I'd never done a television show. And so I was 
I was thrilled when they hired me. So I kind of just dove into that. And it was a very strange world of just like the director gets four days to do a cut and you get like two days after they finish shooting to finish what's there. And I was like, wow. But the environment of like working with all these other people, like at first I was like, what is your job again? And, you know, (laughs) who are you? Like the producers and like all the people. But it was so much fun. I really enjoyed that. So it kind of like stuck with me. I was like, television, it wouldn't be bad to go back to television. It would be really fun. But, you know, then I got more features and that kind of just happened again. And then um, in 2008, when the market crashed and things kind of just jerked to a screeching halt with like films that were $15 million, which was kind of what I was doing, you know, the 15 to $20 million movie. I didn't work for like 18 months. And, uh, my friends became the showrunners of In Treatment. And they said, you know, we're going to give you a job and get you back on your feet. And they did. And I was like, oh, and television <laughs> on a show that I really loved. That was exciting. And um, that really just kind of took off. It was like, then I started getting more offers for shows like, oh, okay. Like the killing, that was like the next thing. And then after the killing, it was Dexter. And then it just all kind of snowballed. Now, in this period with television, I know that the directors are rotating episode to episode. And as you alluded to, they get a short amount of time. Do the editors rotate then as well? Is it a couple of editors working simultaneously? Yeah, it's like, you know, an in treatment. I mean, we had 28 episodes and there were four of us. Like on Big Love, there were three of us. But on The Killing, for some reason, we had 12 episodes and there were only two of us. So that was kind of insane. That should really took it out of me. But um, and then, yeah, so it's usually you just have a rotation. It's like you get one through, you know, one, five, one, three and five or one, you know, three and five. And then the other ones get two, four, six. And, the other, you know, and it just kind of goes like that. We're doing an episode to release this week, the original network model for television. And yeah. so you're always prepping one, shooting another, yeah. and then editing a third. Yeah. All, so everybody's staying busy all the yeah. time. And then the reason I wanted to, to bring that up specifically for our listeners to give that some thought is because in this current era and with the streaming and the way the Netflix has sort of changed the model, and then that's different now. Mm-hmm. With it, and it's different than with what we get into on, on Mayor of Easttown. But so let's talk about this a little bit. Brad Inglesby creates the show. Folks who don't know him, he has a handful of movies, including Run All Night. And all seven episodes are directed by Craig Zobel. He had a 10-episode credit for another TV episodic show. Yes, one dollar. <laughs> that, uh, that I had read about, but was not familiar with. I, I was intrigued. Yeah. But my question for you, Amy, long setup, how do you end up getting involved in this project? And is it, in fact, as different up front for you as I might surmise from? from yeah, I mean, myself. I've worked on other shows that had been cross-boarded, but mostly it was you know, the first three will be cross-boarded. Like you're working on one and, and uh, you know, it's like one director, they're like little blocks. So it's like one director will do two episodes. Like I've, I've worked on several shows like this. This was like the first one where it was one director and the whole shebang. And so it was shot all across the board. Um, some days you'd get dailies for episode three. Some days you'd get up dailies for episode five. It just depends on the location. So keeping up with that, um, it's a little tricky, but it's kind of fun. I don't know. It's just different than like grinding through dailies for two weeks and then, you know, grinding out an episode because you get like you just get time too. it's kind of it's kind of nice to do your work. 
and then you can shift back to like the other story and then like you're, you're moving ahead. But how I got onto the show, um, you know, luckily through my contacts at HBO, um, they were just trying to bring me back into the fold. And they told me some, you know, about like I had a general meeting, which I'm so lucky at this point in my career to have like something like that. I'm highly grateful that like I can get a general meeting at HBO um, <laughs> to talk about things they'd like me to work on. I mean, wow. So I had one of those meetings and um, they were like telling me about like, you know, Lovecraft country. And then we have this other thing, Perry Mason. And then there's this thing that's going to start happening in the fall and it's called Mayor of Easttown. And I was like, Oh, well, what's, you know, Mayor of Easttown. Cause I was working on this uh, Amazon show Hunter. So I was like, Lovecraft country is not going to work. And I probably wouldn't, I could come on the end of Perry Mason, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but what's this thing, you know? Um, and they're like, well, it's Kate Winslet. And I first, I thought they were saying the mayor of Easttown. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I was like, she's the mayor of Easttown. <laughs> <laughs> it's a common misunderstanding on the first hearing of that title. <laughs> so, um, no, they're, they're, like she plays this detective and it's in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, really? And I said, well, I would totally be interested in that. And they're like, well, yeah. So we'll pitch you to the director and, um, and hopefully, you know, we'll get you a meeting and yada, yada. And I was like, great. You know, so several months. I mean, it was like, I was like, well, there's always that mayor of Easttown. I can. <laughs> I mean, I was working on this other, um, this star show called Vita, which was um, really this fantastic half hour show that took place in East LA. And um, I was really hoping to go back to that too. And what happened on that was they shrunk the season it was like 10 episodes and they shrunk it down to six. And I was like, geez, you know? And so then they didn't need another editor. And then luckily mayor of Easttown came along and I actually got hired. <laughs> so it was and, kind of like this weird thing that worked out, but. And so at this stage, they're planning all seven episodes as we posted, yes. they've cross boarded them. So they know that all the shooting schedules being worked out for how yes. long a production schedule did they have? For it was supposed time? to be from like, the end of October to May, I think it was very long. It was very long, but there was, you know, the scripts were very long. So, yeah. <laughs> um, there was that too. And they were going to shoot everything. And, uh, and then of course, you know, what happened in March was what shut everything down. So, so you guys started, so the filming started in uh, the end of 2019. Yeah, October 2019. And then got into 2020. You still had mm -hmm. a couple of months of shooting yeah. scheduled. Like three weeks left of Kate Winslet. Like she only had three more weeks. <laughs> and we were and, like making sure. And then it was like, what? So for something like this, as the editor, do you come in while you're still in pre-production? Are you discussing ideas yeah. with the director and folks? At I mean, that time? I, I was involved in the pre-production and all the tone meetings and production meetings and all of those things. Yeah. So there was a lot, you know, the visual effects, you know, which then we just knew we're going to be kind of seasonal things, which actually became a lot more seasonal things, but right. <laughs> because of like the time, you know, they were trying to shoot along with like the timeline 
of how the show took place. So like a lot of it was in winter and a lot of it, you know, and then there was spring. So they were kind of trying to leave everything for the spring. And then of course, yeah, they weren't planning on coming back in fall 2020. So <laughs> to finish up their spring shooting. <laughs> That was not part of the plan. And then it went into winter. I mean, it was like December, you know, when they wrapped. So it was crazy. And so talk to me a little bit more about the pandemic coming in and breaking things up. Earlier in the season, um, I uh, spoke with the editor from In the Heights. And Mm. he had talked about how... Myra and I had a nice conversation about about the movie. Love Myra, old friend. <laughs> and um, it was interesting because not only, of course, the shooting film down, yeah. but the large editing suites they had set up in New York. They sent everybody home as well, and so he was editing at home for a lot of that time, sort of um, on his own. Did you have a similar experience, or yep. how did you guys manage that 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 downtime? Well, what happened when we when we shut down? Yeah, we were in a editing room and you know, Burbank, like right near Warner Brothers. And uh, they closed our office. They didn't close it. I mean, we still had it. So we weren't quite sure, like, you know, I mean, literally they were like, oh, in six weeks, we'll come back. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like not six months. Um, It was really like, we're just going to see what happens. And then it was like, whoa, you know, HBO though had a very realistic thing. Like where some people were like two weeks, we'll be back in two weeks. And it's like, they knew it was like from the get go it was like six weeks. We're going to see what happens. And then six weeks became eight weeks. And then eight weeks became, you know. Well, you're right, Amy, at the beginning when people were saying two weeks, Hey, you could leave stuff in the fridge. We'll be back before, you know, there's going to be trouble. (laughs) You know, saying even six weeks was like the uh, very conservative approach to the whole thing. My God. I know. I mean, we were like Brad Inglesby was like six weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, six weeks. So we kind of sorted out like what was going to happen. And we all got equipment in our homes I live, you know, this is, I lived in this little house in Mount Washington. And so I was like squeezed into my living room in a corner and the internet was really bad. So we kind of (laughs) like, I couldn't do it ever cast with anybody. But the thing was, it was like, like there was no more shooting, like where there was no more dailies and HBO and our director and the producers figured, okay, let's use this time to, instead of shutting everything down, and just like having everybody out of work, let's start going through all the episodes. So I recut everything we had basically. And I took it through like editor's cut. And then I worked with Craig Zobel, the director. And then I did a producer's pass. And then we showed it, you know, we showed our cuts even to HBO so that they knew like what we had and what was going on. And it was actually, I mean, one of the best things that happened during the pandemic was like having this time to do all of that work. It was a tremendous amount of work. It was crazy. Um, I would have to go back into the office because my internet was so bad. Right. To do the Evercast sessions, you know, like to work with Craig and to work with Brad and Mark. And it's so bad because everyone is working from home now. Yeah, well, exactly. Like the internet is like tested is school. Like, you know, every kid in the neighborhood is doing school. You know, in my tiny, in my weird little neighborhood, there was like one utility box for like the entire, you know, <laughs> and it was four blocks away. So there was no <laughs> hope of getting like fiber or anything. We eventually moved. I mean, it it was that bad that we had to like actually relocate. You know, we were renting our house. So it was like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that was kind of weird too to move in the middle of like dailies and the oh, pandemic. <laughs> right. Anyway, and you're not going to leave that at the story. office, right? That's because that's yeah, right. So it's like now, you know, at least I was in a dining room and not like the living room. But yeah, so we uh, we worked through all of the episodes. You know, Brad had to rewrite a bunch of things because some scenes that we were still we still had to shoot were like big crowd scenes. Like, okay, Siobhan meeting Anne was at a concert you know, where Mannequin Pussy was playing and suddenly it's going to be Anne playing a record of Mannequin Pussy at the college <laughs> radio station. Like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's a huge change. It's successfully done. I'd say that's a, that scene worth reading the movie. Great. <laughs> it was great, but that's like what, you know, and, and Frank and Faye's wedding became the end of Frank and Faye's wedding it was like, <laughs> you know, with like eight guests. The, just things like that, you know, stuff that had to be redone and, you know, weird things that happened, like Phyllis Somerville, who played Betty Carroll, she passed away, like right at the beginning of the hiatus, like that, you know, she didn't die of COVID or anything, but it was just natural causes. And so we had to sort that out because she had one scene more to do. There were just a lot of things. And uh, so scripts got shorter. And then, of course, they started shooting in September 2020. And things had kind of calmed down in the pandemic, but not quite. They created a bubble. Like they lived in a hotel, went to work, got tested like every day. Like it was incredible what they did. Really just amazing. And they finished, but they did kind of just like, okay, let's just finish this up. You know, <laughs> they cut a bunch of scenes out and maybe, you know, by the end in December when everything was just coming to a screeching halt again, like even here in Los Angeles, it was like, they shut our office down, you know, it's like, that's it. And you will all be working from home and we will all figure this out. So uh, we finished editing dailies. You know, I had brought my friend on Naomi Filaramo to help me because I was still doing editors cuts, you know, directors, like producers cuts with Brad and Mark. And uh, Naomi come, came in and helped me with the dailies and we finished editing the dailies on Christmas Eve, 2020 and turned everything over to Craig and um, all the episodes. And we started up in January and we were in tremendously great shape because more than half of the episodes had been edited already. So, right. and that really allowed us to get the show out when as quickly as we did because everything had been gone through. And we had patterns and we had, you know, there, were, there weren't too many surprises. So, Well, it's fascinating to think that it's already a bit of a paradigm shift to be doing, in my mind, all seven episodes at once. Yeah. But then you have a plan that how that's going to work and how it's going to come together that is completely blown up. Not yeah. in the beginning or not at the very end, but in the two thirds through when now all of these other elements have to come in and yeah. everybody's got to earn their money trying to get this thing back on track. But to your point, things start to open up again and HBO has this series ready to go. Yeah, they knew. They're no fools over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> they know what they're doing. Thank God. It was, it was just like the show was, it was in great shape by the time we turned things over. I mean, there were a few, you know, of course it's like, there were some battles with the music and the thing, you know, just like there were certain scenes like sequences that you're always going to have issues with. It was like the thing at Wayne Potts's house, you know, in episode five at the end of episode five, where they go to the guy's house and find the, you know, and like all, all hell breaks loose. And that was a very long sequence, many passes. And then, you know, 
life, my father passed away in the middle of the producer's cut. So it was like, things just like had to keep, the machine had to keep going, but like, right. you know. <laughs> yeah, that's typical for all of this work. Yeah. Condolence on your father, I can appreciate Thank you, uh, thank you. During that time and just the stress and the pull of that. Uh, yeah, you know, it just, I mean, my dad was 96 years old and he was, uh, it was not unexpected, but it was still just like, wow, that actually happened. <sighs> all of it. So yeah, life is just weird. And it sure was on Mary's town. <laughs> Amy, you mentioned one of the scenes I want to come back to oh, where, they, sure. where they go to the house. But before we talk about specifics, I want to take a step back uh-huh. and talk about the strategy of approaching this show. Mm. Right out the gate, you have this huge and highly credited ensemble cast in the sense that there are a lot of people who bring a lot of past history and presence. Yeah. The fact that you have Guy Pearson there or Jim yeah. Smart means that they're going to be important characters. Yes. Yet, it's not just two or three people. Like this is a huge yeah. cast. And so give us some idea about how you balance that as far as introducing these characters, but not overemphasizing some and balancing what they bring versus what actually is going to serve the story. Well, it is. It's funny because it's like when you meet, you know, the Ross family, you're like, okay, well, they're, that's Mare's best friend. That's Lori, you know? And you're like, oh, I wish there were more scenes with Lori, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And, and yeah, I mean, some of it was, it was really tricky. Like I had to ask my assistant to make a map of like, you know, all the faces because it, there were too many guys with beards. Right. There are a lot of beards. <laughs> it's like, why does everybody have to have facial hair? So that was a little bit crazy, but um, it was, it was just like this huge task. Of, but I have to say in the writing, like to Brad's credit, Keeping track of everybody, it was a little tricky, especially in the first episode, the first two episodes, you're introducing like all of these people. Mare was really like the guiding force between like all of these people. And that became very apparent, like at the beginning, it was just like, well, she's like, you know, this is Mare's world. It's like, we are here. And she is, I mean, and it's the joke in the show, but she is connected to every person in that town. Right. You know, even in like the SNL skit, it was like they nailed it. It was like, well, that's my cousin, and that's my daughter, and that's my granddaughter, and that's my, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> so just getting all of that straight in your viewers' heads, it's so tricky. It's just like introducing a new person. At the beginning, we kind of struggled, like, when to bring Erin in? Do we bring her in sooner? Do we bring her in later? I, I did mess with that a lot mm-hmm. because it's like this person is it, it, her story is tied to Mare. So how quickly do we bring that in? It became kind of like a little balancing act where, right. we, you know, move this down, take this in. Does that play? And it's like we'd watch it and go, I kind of like having Aaron up front now. You know, this is good. It was. It was just a very delicate balancing act. It's like, do you use a shot of Ryan at this point, you know, do you use these characters? Like, when do you bring them in for people to notice more? Because that's and not scripted. You, you credited the not. script as far as layering in. And I think not only the introduction of characters in the ensemble piece, but you've got to deliver enough of the murder mystery. You do. Along in parallel. Like that has to move at its own pace. And so these two things, when they work together or when they're at odds as far as, you know. It's really tricky. And it was really important. Like 
Aaron used to be way down in episode one. And I was like, after Mare has been at the Carol's house and, and shoved a sandwich in her face and like, you know, gone to like the aquarium, like the aquarium store, it was time to see, you know, when we got to bring this kid in because her story is what drives the entire rest of the show. So that was really tricky. And, and also she, you know, she's the emotional center of the, the episode. I mean, it's like everything that happens to her goes all the way down to episode seven. Yeah. But just like one more character, like the basketball game, like, Oh my God, it's Dawn. And Oh my God, it's, you know, <laughs> but like you've met Beth because, you know, Mare chased her brother. You did like it, you know, and like all of that. And it's just, just like one more person. Trammell, the detective, more people at the police station. <sighs> it was exhausting. One more layer of complication that I'd like to yeah. get your, your thoughts on. You're introducing characters now and their past histories. You're introducing this uh, mystery and the murder mystery that's happening yes. in the present time. And you also have a previous case this missing girl plot that is not front loaded. In fact, it's sort of teased a lot in those first episode, at least if not yeah. several, but the decision about how much of that to reveal is really important as well. And I'm wondering, again, is the scripting helping with that or you really have to control that in the editing or obviously there's some relationship there, but. I mean, some of it, the scripting, you know, it was easy to bring it in a little bit. Okay, mayor, you know, the chief of police, like you, nothing's happening. We gotta like, you know, they want to bring in this other person that kind of gets left hanging, you know, but like Dawn has had this news conference and then she sees Dawn later. So that it's like that story is like right there. But some of it is too. It's like we approach this show as it's it's a family drama with a murder mystery thrown in it. That's the way I always looked at it. Like for me, like Mare's inner struggle and like her family life was really more important than the rest of it. I do feel like that's what made our show very different from like other like whodunit shows. You were always yelling at Mare, don't do it, Mare. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, when you're yelling at the character that you're like, don't, you're invested. And we wanted that to happen because it's like, Mare's life sucks. <laughs> it's, there's no two word, you know, it's, it, she had a lot going on. And she was trying to do her job and all of that. So it's just so tricky. But being able to like edit all of the episodes, it was really kind of a, a gift because it was just like seeing like how it was all coming together. It was really great. And I really treasured that opportunity. Don't do know if I'll ever want to do it again, but I <laughs> You and seeing all of the footage. Yeah. Get to know these characters even more than is going to make the final cut. Yeah. Is that a challenge for you as an editor to, whether it's between you or the director or the guidance, you know, from Brad as, as, as having scripted it, are there the people you miss? Are there stories? Do you wish you'd had eight hours or not? just to, to fill out some of these folks even more? Um, no, I think I really do feel like we spent time with everybody appropriately. I really do. I mean, Siobhan's documentary, I wish some more people had been able to see it. Like, you know, there are like little plot things that just kind of like went, like what happened to her documentary? <laughs> Did it get into a film festival? <laughs> like, you know, people wanted to know. So good length, and I agree. But it's, uh, to go back to our earlier point, we've got a seven hour movie, except 
you do have these cliffhangers at the end of each episode and HBO did release it week to week. Now, again, I binged it towards the end once it all come out, but you have to pay attention to that as well. And so mm-hmm. to your point, I think there is this family drama that carries it, but there's still structural things that have to be met in order for the mystery to proceed in an episodic fashion. You know, the cliffhanger, they had to be good because you got to go like, got to want to watch the next one. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what's going to take you to the next one? Yeah. It always ended up being about the murder mystery, you know, like what's going to get you into the next thing. And then the, the, yeah, whether it's some giant thing that happens like in episode five or just, you know, in episode two where it's like, Frank, really? Right. You know, or <laughs> <laughs> episode three where you're like, Oh, the priest. Hmm. Right. <laughs> and and what the hell did Mayor just do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that no. was some family. That was kind of the family drama cliffhanger. You know, it, it was a little mixture of the priest and the family drama. <laughs> of Mayor just like sabotaging like everything. Now, are those beats largely figured out script to script? In other words, did you have seven scripts and you knew what was supposed to happen in each episode or that didn't evolve yeah. later? You knew that starting out, but yeah. kind of where the beats were going to be. Yeah. We tried a couple places to move a scene from another episode. Like Brad was a master at stealing shots from other things and putting them in, you know, uh-huh. to kind of create a little moment for Mare. But uh, we didn't really wholesale move scenes around it was they just didn't it didn't work that way even if something was taken out from another episode it wouldn't have like fit anywhere I mean that's the scripts were kind of like that with their beats of murder mystery and family drama right let me dive a little more into uh the characters and again for real if you've listened this long and not watched it I am seriously going to spoil stuff for you now so this is really (laughs) your last chance to, to to step away my wife and I had a little bit of a game where every time any character did something suspect, whether or not related to the central mystery or not, we're like, oh yeah, that person's definitely guilty. And it's going to come back to that it was there. Like, it doesn't matter whether it's the person at the bar. It doesn't matter. You know, every single character has some kind of moment of looking sideways at the screen. And we're like, oh yeah, that person is, is guilty. You know where it's all going to go. And I will say that I was suspicious of the kid early. And this is before we really yeah. got into it. There was a lot of stuff, but I just think maybe I was just suspicious on a personal level that we spent as much time with him as yes. we did. But it's also really critical because he can't show up later and be central to these no. important things. That's no. uh, And for you, it just, again, are you intentionally putting characters up to create some of those red herrings? Do you feel like there's just a general flow and what people take from it, they're going to take from it? Like Just thinking about knowing who's done what you telegraph stuff again as the editor that does largely fall to you. I no, think. there's a huge scene in episode four where suddenly we are in Lori and what's his name's bedroom and Ryan is there and he's watching the news with them. And you're just like, you know, and I, I mean, you can hear it on Twitter too. Why are we cutting to these people? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> We, that was a scene that we kind of toyed with. It was, it was just like, 
I mean, and we had some blatant cuts to Ryan and that, you know, where he just kind of like walks in the bedroom and is kind of like wondering like, why, what is there, you know, what's happening? Is there a serial killer? It's like, what's happening on the news? Uh, another girl is gone. And, and uh, you know, it's things like that. You do. It's just like, you're like Guy Pierce was like a red herring for like the entire show. Absolutely. Like, right like, until, the, until he gets in the yeah. car to drive off, you're like, there's probably a girl in the trunk right now. I got to or just like the stuff with Dylan and Brianna, you know, it really went on to like episode seven. Like, really, it was just kind of the stuff you had to do to keep it going, to keep you yeah. guessing. Also in the character space, I'm really struck by the nuance of a character like Lori, yes. where she's both the best friend. Uh, she's integral into some of the things that are going on later. Although just, and again, the balance of her throughout the whole thing as the editor you, again, you're aware of her full arc and yes. picture, but I think it could almost be distracting to know all of her stuff and trying to figure out how you sort of reveal on her. It's it's it's, yeah. it's really well done. And I just, I, I want to give you credit, but hear more of sort of your thought process on, on bringing her to life. Lori was like from the beginning, like one of my favorite characters. I just loved her. I love Julianne Nicholson. I think like she is an underrated actress of all time. And I was like thrilled that she was in our show. So, you know, then, I mean, she's the one who's like trying to, like, who knows Mare better than anybody. It's like, don't do it, Mare. <laughs> like, you know, she was always the one, like, trying to reel her in. Oh, who's this guy? He's from out of town. You should go for that. You know, it's like, she's like the titular best friend character. But yeah, by the end, you know, she has this hugely dramatic arc. It was kind of great. Like, people that would watch it and be like, oh, I really wish there was more Julianne Nicholson, you know, and I couldn't say anything because it's like, just wait. (laughs) 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 Oh, just wait, please. Of all the characters, yeah, I wish I had like a bit more of her, but I think like the payoff at the end is so great for her that it might've messed that up. You know, I enjoyed creating her character arc. It was awesome. Like by the end, you're just like trying to think back, like, well, when did she learn that? And like, right. what? Um, and Mara was trying to figure it out. And like, you're all trying to figure it out. Like, how much did Lori know? God. You know. I mean, were there other arcs that you found particularly interesting or challenging as far as creating in the Oedipus? You know, Deacon Mark's whole thing, um, you know, it's always the priest. But he was such an interesting character. I, I mean, I really just liked him. He was kind of written super shifty. And, and of course, yeah, it's like the clergy just has a, a bad rap to begin with. So it, it was a little easy, but I just liked his whole thing of just like, you know, I was her friend and if I could have like stopped her, I would have, but I just, you know, I couldn't. And he was trying to cover up a bunch of, you just felt bad for him. I did like Deacon Mark and Colin Zabel, of course, was like one of my favorite characters. Like the the scene with him in the bar and Mare, that was like one of my favorite things to edit. And uh, <laughs> where it's just like his whole truth, you know, like you live at home with your mom. It's like, <laughs> we, all, we find all these things out. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, that leads up to, I think what is uh, what we hinted at earlier, the scene where as things are developing there, they go to the house where they find the girls and he's killed in a scene that for me was very reminiscent of one of my favorite movie moments from a long time ago, To Live and Die in L.A., 
Wow. Or, whoops, not to spoil that for people, but <laughs> similar things happen. We won't go into more detail. Yeah, you don't know which character he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but where's this shocking moment that yeah. happened so quickly? And yet, from an editing perspective, it's really important to get that right. Otherwise, people are going to miss what happens for the rest of that scene. If they don't catch that, it's got to be quick, but it can't be the end of the scene. And so, no. I'm talking about just putting that whole house bit together from the from arrival start to finish. To the, I mean, that's. Even the filming must have been a well, good the filming was, you know, it was done in parts because it was like there was the actual house, like that that weird bar. It was like a weird right. house with a bar in it that they kind of wrote in. And then the upstairs was like an entire set. So we had pieces to start. Like we had Sable getting shot. We had Mary getting chased into the kit. Like we had just like little bits that they shot in the front. Like that whole scene, like where, you know, they're banging on the pipes, but we didn't have them banging on the pipe. We had, you know, slugs of like, so that whole thing coming together took a little while. Naomi Filaramo, she put the original version of that together. She was the one who, who drew the roadmap based on like the script and all of the scripted beats. And Craig Zobel did, you know, and, and Ben Richardson and our first AD, Casey, like they did a tremendous job of just like getting it all set up every beat of like Mare going through that place. And there were so many extra beats <laughs> that whole scene. Like when Naomi finished, it was like 16 minutes long. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and she scored it and it was like really tense and it was so great. But I was like, it can't be this long, you know? <laughs> I mean, it really, it worked. It was like everything that was written and everything that was like filmed and every, but it was like, come on. Like, Mary needs to, you know, he gets shot, she runs away, you know, she's got to hide from this guy, he's got to come after her. It was like, it took forever for the phone to come, like, it took forever. So Naomi set it up, found all the great pieces. I mean, we kept, you know, it was such a process. It was like our entire crew really came to bat. It was like all of my assistants, Genesis and Jimmy and Luke, like did ADR, like we had people from, you know, the post producer doing ADR for, you know, the cops coming in the door at the end, like, you know, Genesis, my assistant came up with the idea for the documentary to come back into her head, you know, that she had seen earlier in the episode when she's like sitting there and Brad loved that, like he loved it. And that was her idea. And I was like, yeah, we should do that. So it was really, it took a village to edit the end of 105. And I mean, and literally like that was when my dad passed away and like Naomi had to take over the episode. And so she ended up like, I gave it a giant haircut when I worked on it with Craig <laughs> and we had a pretty good version. It wasn't quite like perfect, but it was moving, you know, it moved a little faster. And then Naomi went through a cut with um, Brad and, and Mark Royball, our producer, and then we send it to HBO and they're like, you know, keep trying. Like it was, it was close, but like there's the whole part where he comes upstairs and Mare is in the crawl space. And, and so we had, there were a lot of moments to massage basically. Like Mare sees the gun downstairs, Zabel's gun. And we did some visual effects that were kind of tricky. And mm. um, it, it was, it was like, it took a giant group of people to get that thing to go, you know. But I had a little, you know, it was like my thing with my dad. So I went to be with my family for a bit. And then I came back and I had some clarity. Uh, and I came in and I was like, okay. 
you don't need that shot. You don't need this shot. You know, let's take these out. And it was like, finally. To the credit of the scene, I couldn't tell you it wasn't 16 minutes. I mean, I know that <laughs> it wasn't a quarter of the episode, but thinking back, how do you recall the how finish, long? She was about eight minutes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, From where they walk little... into the door at Wayne okay. Potts' house with the music, like where they're knocking on the door to there, it was like eight minutes and something. That's a lot to happen in eight minutes, as you say. When yeah. you say it like that, that's like wow. That's uh, oh, but like all that in and not feel rushed. It was all there. It was just like the girl. She sees the girls. The girls are like, gotta move on from that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's unarmed. <laughs> she's gotta hide from this guy. So, what other scenes? Talked about them talking at the bar and other great bar, scenes yeah. that come together back and forth. Other scenes throughout that really struck you as either particularly challenging or rewarding in seeing them come together? I think when Mara shows up, like when Ryan runs home and he runs into the house and tells Lori and Mara shows up and she's just like, I've got to do this thing. I can't not do this. I can't not do my job. And just like Ryan retelling the story you know, of all the things that you kind of already knew, but it was really interesting. It was just really like that whole section to like where Lori loses it in the car. Like that is one of my favorite scenes, truly. The first time I cut that, I kind of held back on Julianne Nicholson and and Brad was like, no, just go all the way. (laughs) Uh You know, Craig and I would kind of err on this part of like, don't scream, you don't have to scream, but like Brad was just like, let her scream. And that's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, let her scream. Why? It's Ryan. You know, that whole section, it's, it was, yeah, it's, it's really good. Something you said there, tell me more about the collaboration between Brad as the creator and writer. Yes. Craig as the director and you as the editor. Are there other folks in this circle? Or is it really the three of you that sort of, have to bounce things back and back and um, forth. Mark Royball, one of the other EPs, he was involved. You know, he would come into the edit, like the, the virtual edit that we had uh, in the producer's cut. And he gave notes. And then, you know, and then when you turn it over to HBO, it's like they're involved. So yeah, it's it's a nonstop cacophony of voices, but it, it's really just like Craig and Brad were like the voices that, you know, you really had to listen to the most. And they're, they, they were pretty close in there of like what they wanted for the show. I mean, truly, they weren't very far off from each other. Brad, like performance wise, he would always just like trying different things just to see what they looked like. And, you know, Craig was just like making sure that we have all the right pieces and, and all of that, you know, it was just a different kind of collaboration, but it was, it was, uh, it all worked out. I don't know, it all, it really did. I was, I, when I think about editing here in my dining room, I still can't, when the show came out and my neighbors were like you edited that show in our building (laughs) i was like yeah yeah i did (laughs) right here i do i just i sometimes i still can't believe we actually pulled it all off well looking forward amy you've done standalone two-hour films yeah worked in episodic TV, and now this experience of yes. really call it singular creator miniseries or whatever, more of this going back to the other? What do you think is the- I love drama, but I also love comedy. And I like, I, I really enjoy really dark 
comedy stuff. I mean, you know, we have some of it in Mare where it's just like, you're just laughing at things that like are ridiculous, you know, Mr. Carroll having to announce, you know, that he had an affair, <laughs> which of course makes Mare scream with glee, you know, but then it's like the most horrifying thing happens in episode five, like not long after that. So it's, like, <laughs> you know, balancing all of that was so much fun because it was like, you needed those funny moments to kind of get you through, you know, and you needed to be like, oh, Mayor, oh my God, don't do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love doing funny things, especially like dark humor. I really enjoy that a lot. So I hope that would be next. <laughs> so, you know what you're on to next? You got to- uh... I don't, you know, I don't. So interesting to see what happens, yeah. Well, as you mentioned way back in the beginning of your career with uh, High Art, where you finished it and then you had to wait for it to come out for people to see what it is. Amy, this, uh, you know, again, from the ending perspective, I think really comes together well and is a, is a calling card. I'm, I'm excited for Thank you. you. Look forward to what Thank you're doing you next. very much. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of work and I'm really, really proud of it. And uh, I'm just really grateful that people watched it and like had so much fun with it. Like, Twitter on Sunday became my thing for seven weeks. <laughs> just like watching people like, I mean, people are still having fun with it. Like somebody, t- you know, tweeted, I hope Mayor's boring daughter is having a good pride today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like yay. <laughs> Mayor's boring daughter, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, you know, I am. I'm just so grateful that people watched it. We had no idea when we were making it. We knew people would watch it because of Kate Winslet. We just didn't know people would react to it the way they did, like so full on into the whodunit and, and all of that. That was just so gratifying. So, yeah. Well, congratulations. And Thank again, you. Thanks for coming on here today, Amy. Talk hey, to us absolutely Really appreciate Steve. your insights. No, it's really fun. I love talking. I'm sorry I didn't get geekier. <laughs> <laughs> we can do a remix version of more geeky stuff. Okay. Let me know. You think of something else. Sounds good. Take care. Thank you. And season eight rolls on. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. And please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners. If you are a new listener, it's easy to peruse all of our back episodes at the website, below the line, one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. All episodes of the podcast are also listed on IMDb. So it's easy to cross-reference the film credits of my guests. If you've got questions or comments, you can send email to skid, S-K-I-D, at blowtheline.biz. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Be safe. Join us again next week on Below the Line.